Hey, it's Big Joe for your trusted local independent American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning dealer, Absolute Comfort. Chris Wedekin is the owner, and he tells us why many homeowners are giving up their air conditioners for a high-efficiency heat pump. By removing your air conditioner and replacing it with a heat pump, you are not only saving by getting a higher-efficiency air conditioner, the heat pump works in reverse and saves you money in the wintertime as well. See if a heat pump is the right move for you by going to absolutecomfort.org. Absolute Comfort is your trusted local independent American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning dealer. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. Hey, we're here two weeks in a row. <laughs> it feels pretty good with the holidays and uh, IU football before it ended and then IU basketball here more recently. Uh, we've been bumped off a few times, but producer Carl and I are here and there's an awful, awful lot to talk about both on the national scene as well as right here in Indiana. And I got to tell you, one thing that I've gotten just a ton of uh, text messages, direct messages on social media, uh, calls to my office um, just in the last 24 hours um, involves the ATF's new final rule that is of a final regulation that they have now submitted to the Federal Register. That will go into effect when it's published in the Federal Register, which uh, ought to be early this coming week, I would guess. But it has to do with an issue that that may not be universally significant to gun owners, but for a very, very large population of people, estimated to be around 3 million, uh, it is extremely relevant and, in fact, is something that should cause them to be concerned about potentially spending 10 years in federal prison. And I don't say that to be melodramatic, because what we're talking about here is a new rule on so-called pistol stabilizer braces. And and if you've not heard that term, I've talked about it here several times on the Gun Guy Show. Uh, I can explain what we're talking about. First of all, you have to start with the National Firearms Act of 1934. And as the date suggests, 1934, this is something that was passed when sort of the, the mob era, the gangland era of the United States history was 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 well underway. I mean, we're talking about the Al Capone years, right? Um, Machine Gun Kelly. The you know the, the 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 criminals, the mobsters, the gangsters that were uh, romanticized in a lot of ways and received a tremendous amount of publicity. With even uh, at the time, Hollywood jumping on the bandwagon and cranking out movies left and right because a lot of people love a good crime story. They love to read about, watch movies about gangsters. And things like the Valentine's Day Massacre in Chicago and whatnot. I mean, these things really captured the public eye. And they also captured Congress's eye. Because as Congress either watched the the 
dramatized news coverage on gang activities across the country, places like New York and Chicago, L.A. primarily. They also got caught up in the Hollywood depictions of all these things. And they looked at any number of different firearms and said, hmm, we should probably regulate these in a different way than we regulate other firearms. And this is really the federal government's first real foray into regulating firearms. The federal government had largely butted out. In 1934, Congress still feared the Second Amendment in the sense that if they, if they, if they stepped in and banned things that were firearms, they feared that being summarily overturned by the Supreme Court eventually under the Second Amendment. And so what they did, again, in my personal opinion, is that it was largely driven as much by Hollywood as it was anything else. But they, they passed this National Firearms Act in 1934, and what they did is they didn't ban things. It's commonly believed that they banned certain firearms, like short-barreled rifles. That's a rifle that is... Uh, uh, designed to be fired from the shoulder. That's what makes it a rifle, among other things, including a rifled bore, etc. But that has a uh, barrel less than 16 inches. Short-barreled shotguns, the proverbial sawed-off shotgun. It was illegal, or at least regulated, if it has a barrel less than 18 inches. They did not ban these things. And by the way, what they called silencers or suppressors. By the way, there's a debate. You go out on social media and uh, people will get into do a, to a debate whether we should call them silencers or suppressors. And people want to demonstrate their, their knowledge of firearms and, and that can get heated. Well, the term silencer, which is not factually accurate. I've talked about this here on the show before. A silencer or suppressor typically takes the sound of a gunshot from around 160 decibels and reduces it. And it depends on a lot of things, barrel length, caliber, a whole lot of other issues. But generally speaking, it reduces the report, the sound of a firearm from somewhere around 160 decibels down to about 130. That's still loud. It is, it, is, it is complete, talking about Hollywood, it is a complete Hollywood-generated myth that when a gun with a so-called silencer on it is fired, that it sounds like, <laughs> right? Don't you see that in the movies all the time? Somebody could be lying. I've seen this scene in movies. There's somebody could be lying right in the same bed with someone who's getting shot with a gun with a silencer, and he never even wake up the person lying next to the victim. Folks, it doesn't work that way. What's 130 decibels? That's a chainsaw running from a few yards away. Okay? Depending on the firearm, caliber, barrel length, any number of things, you can take a gun that is not hearing safe, meaning you, you definitely need hearing protection to avoid damaging your hearing, down to a hearing safe level, as defined by OSHA and others. But they, they don't silence anything. They suppress the sound of a gunshot, potentially, again, depending on other factors, down to a, a level that is hearing safe. But again, here, the 
silencer. Let's back up a little bit, too. We'll just do a little little, little historical background here on the National Firearms Act of 1934. Where'd that that term even come from? If it is not accurate to say that a so-called silencer silences anything, where the hell did the term come from? Well, it came from the guy who invented it, Hiram, I should say, Hiram Percy Maxwell. Maxim, gosh, I just, I, I just caused old, 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 old guy to, to turn over in his grave. Hiram Percy Maxim is the guy's name. And he invented, using the same exact technology that he was using to also make firearm mufflers. Excuse me. <laughs> Carl, I need more caffeine. Let me back up. Using the same technology he was using to make automobile mufflers. He invented a muffler, essentially, that went on a firearm. And his brand name for his firearm muffler, that's what he called it, a firearm muffler. His brand name was The Silencer. And you can find these cool old ads. One appears to show a lady shooting a, what looks like a small caliber rifle, like a twenty-two, in her living room. And she's wearing a long dress. She's all dressed up, and she's shooting a rifle indoors standing in front of a fireplace, and Hiram Percy Maxim is bragging about his firearm muffler known as The Silencer. That was his brand name. He came out with it. He patented it. Of course, other people tried to, to, to simulate it within the bounds of the patent law. But in the meantime, oh, Hiram was the leader in this area, and so Congress looked at this, and Congress, I think, again, fueled by images of silent ninja assassins sneaking around assassinating people where nobody could hear what was going on because they were using a silencer. Aha, we're going to include those as well within the National Firearms Act. They had images, you know, so-called sawed-off shotguns. You know, Al Capone with a sawed-off shotgun under his long black coat walking into a restaurant somewhere and killing people. And they said, well, it's a shotgun, but it's more easily concealed. That makes it more deadly. That makes it unusually dangerous. Same with a a short-barreled rifle. Well, it's really a rifle, but it's got a short barrel, which makes it easier to conceal. And they went into other concealable-type firearms. They even created this broad catch-all category called any other weapon, which is very vaguely defined. And so we're going to regulate these things. They didn't want to ban them. Well, I'm sure they did want to ban them. They didn't think they could ban them because they still feared the Second Amendment. So what Congress did is they simply decided to regulate them such that if you wanted to own one of these things, you had to register it. You had to register it with the federal government. And now, through the ATF, it was a different regulatory structure back then, but you had to register it, and you had to pay a $200 tax. Machine guns, again, fueled by images of Hollywood, back in the, uh, back in the days of the Tommy gun, right? 45 caliber, fully automatic firearm that you could buy by mail order back then, 
gangsters, you know, on the uh, on the, the running board of a car rolling through town, shooting machine guns in every direction, mowing people down, killing law enforcement. I said, wow, we need to regulate those machine guns. They did not ban them. They include them along with short-barreled rifles, short-barreled shotguns, suppressors, silencers. We're going to include those as well. So they said, well, we're going to tax them. We're going to tax them at $200 a piece to register them with the federal government. This way, we'll know who owns them. And we'll discourage widespread ownership because it'll be so damn expensive to pay the tax in 1934. Do you know where the $200 tax amount came from? In 1934, that was roughly the purchase price of a Thompson submachine gun. 200 bucks. So they're saying, we're going to make this a 100% tax on a Tommy gun. Who's going to pay double? Well, some people will. And when they do, they have to register those things with the federal government. Where are we on machine guns? And, and, and how does all this relate to what the ATF announced yesterday that's got an awful lot of people upset? I'll go into those things when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. We're going to, we're going to try to keep calls on this topic. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 317-239-9393. We're going to branch out later in the show, talk about uh, a bill I'm particularly concerned about here in Indiana that's been introduced by a Republican. I'm incredibly saddened to say. But uh, we'll branch out into other topics later. But right now, if you're going to give us a call, let's try to keep it on the pistol stabilizer brace issue or the NFA generally. Uh, But right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Talk about NFA, and in particular, the final rule issued on quote-unquote pistol stabilizer braces yesterday that's got about 3 million people in the United States, 3 million gun owners extremely upset. i got to tell you, before we go any further, I want to I I send out, I don't often do this here on the Gun Guy Show, I want to send out a very happy birthday a great happy birthday wish uh, to my buddy Kelly Myers. You know him if you listen to the Gun Guy Show. He's a he's a consistent caller, and uh, you know him as Kelly and Avon. Uh, he's all, he's also out there on some of the gun forums. Uh, Kelly's a stud when it comes to uh, participation in the legislative process. He's a proud member of the Two A Project. And I'll tell you, when we have a hearing, we have stuff going on in the state house, whether it's a bill we're fighting against or one we're fighting for, including constitutional carry. Um, Kelly's is there. Uh, he's there, and he's always got uh, very pertinent information, and uh, and has helped tremendously, including on constitutional carry. So that I wanted to take a minute and uh, and yell happy birthday to my buddy Kelly because uh, he's uh, he's a fighter and he's been right there shoulder to shoulder with us. So let's talk more about the NFA and what's going on. Well, again, the NFA didn't ban anything originally. It simply regulated a number of firearms so that they would be taxed and you have to register them. Now, what's the problem with registration? Why have we always fought against registration scheme? I'm going to talk a little bit, if I have time today, about what's going on in Illinois with their new so-called assault weapon ban and new registration requirements. But what we've seen across the country, whether it's assault weapon ban or others, 
is the government loves to register things as a first step to deciding that you no longer are legally entitled to own them, and so they can come get them and they know where to go because you're registered. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. They know who you are, they know where you live, they know what kind of firearm you have. And if that particular kind of firearm is one they want to take out of public hands, they know right where to go. This has happened at the state level all across the country. It's happened in California, it's happened in Maryland, it's happened in Connecticut. So registration is not something, as supporters of the Second Amendment, we've we've ever been very comfortable with. It's something we fought against. There have been registration requirement bills introduced right here in Indiana we fought hard against. And most of them died when and where they should, which is never getting a hearing in committee. But at any rate, so the registration scheme happened. So what happened with machine guns? Let's cover that issue. Machine guns originally, if you had one, when they passed the National Firearms Act 1934, you could register it. If you wanted to buy a new one or convert a firearm from semi-automatic to fully automatic, you could do so but you had to register it. That all changed in 1986. In 1986, something was was passed called the Firearm Owners Protection Act of 1986. We call it FOPA. And while folks were, were fighting over FOPA, including the NRA... NRA wanted a number of things. They wanted the, the, the safe passage provision that allows you to travel state to state uh, with your firearm under certain conditions. Um, and, and there were other things that justified the term Firearm Owners Protection Act. Uh, some real clarification in the statute that ATF currently seems to forget about a lot, but, but talking about uh, when you are or are not engaged in the business of buying and selling firearms that requires a federal firearm license. FOPA made that much more clear. That gave people a lot more protection. But as part of the give and take and the negotiation over this bill at the time, in 1986, the so-called Hughes Amendment was introduced from a legislator named Hughes, obviously, who came in and said, well, we're not going to ban machine guns, but we're going to prohibit any increased importation, manufacture, or registration of machine guns here in the United States. If you had one, it's registered, you're good to go. If it's already registered as of, I think it was April of 1986, if my memory serves, you can transfer it. But no more registrations in terms of anything manufactured or imported prior to 1986 were going to be allowed. That's why people talk about machine guns now. They talk about transferable machine guns. What does that mean? It means it was manufactured before 1986 or imported before 1986. Certain guns can no, I shouldn't say no longer, can never be legal in the United States under FOPA today and it's wrapped into the NFA like the so-called Glock 18. What's the Glock 18? It's a Glock handgun. Looks a lot like a Glock 17, the original full-size 
Glock handgun, except it's got a switch on it. And the switch allows you to change it from semi-automatic to fully automatic. It is a machine pistol. The Glock, the Glock 18 came out after 1986. So by definition, there weren't any here, and they can't be imported now. It's illegal. It's been illegal. It will always be illegal. So that's summary of the NFA. What we're now dealing with is the particular issue of short-barreled rifles and what makes a rifle a short-barreled rifle versus a pistol, depending on what kind of accessories you have attached to your firearm. And in particular, what have been around really a lot for the last 10 years, really this they started being introduced to the market in 2012, were these so-called pistol stabilizer braces. There are approximately 3 million of them. I see them every day. You go to a gun store, you see them on the wall. You go to the firing range and the shooting range, and there's going to be somebody standing next to you at the next bag or a couple over who's shooting a firearm with a pistol stabilizer brace on it. If, 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 if you don't spend a lot of time focused on firearm-related issues, this may be an entirely new issue to you, but it affects so many people, and I've gotten so many calls, emails, direct messages, you name it, on this issue. I wanted to make sure I got into it tonight because this so-called final rule from ATF just got published yesterday, and it is causing a lot of people a lot of upset, and that's why I want to go into it on the show. Uh, right now, we're at the bottom of the hour. We're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. So now we're going to talk about pistol stabilizer braces. What the hell are they? Why does anybody want one? Why have they sold 3 million of them across the country? Well, it has to do with the NFA and its regulation of short-barreled rifles and short-barreled shotguns primarily. Because here's the deal. A shotgun is defined as among other things, like having a smooth bore, etc., a firearm designed to be fired from the shoulder. A rifle, among other things, like having a rifle to bore, etc., etc., is also defined as a firearm designed to be fired from the shoulder. So what became popular here over the last, I'd say, 20 years were rifle caliber pistols. So you could have what looks like an AR-15, but with no shoulder stock on it. If it's got no shoulder stock, it's not designed to be fired from the shoulder, so it's not a rifle. If it's not a rifle, it can't be a short-barreled rifle that is subject to the NFA and the requirement under the NFA to register it and pay your $200 tax stamp. A shotgun... That does not have a shoulder stock on it. It's not designed to be fired from the shoulder. So you could have a pistol grip only shotgun. That can have a barrel shorter than 18 inches, which is otherwise the requirement. Because it's not a shotgun, because it's not designed to be fired from the shoulder. Now you get into some other issues. There's the any other weapon uh 
registration requirement, et cetera. I won't, I won't go into that, but that's generally how it works. Well, what happened in about 2012, a company called SB Tactical, who really led the effort here, but they came out with something called a pistol stabilizer brace. And you could take your AR pistol, your AK pistol, your pistol grip shotgun, and you could, in, in lieu of a shoulder stock, you could put your pistol stabilizer brace on your firearm where a shoulder stock would ordinarily go. And it was designed originally to fit around the forearm of the shooter. So if I'm right-handed, this thing's going to fit around my forearm just a little bit south of my elbow. It's going to it's going to fit around my forearm and what this allows me to do, especially for a disabled shooter, say I've only got one functional arm, it assists me in shooting that firearm one-handed. It stabilizes the gun because in lieu of a shoulder stock, I have this brace strapped onto my forearm. And one of these was submitted to ATF, and they were asked for a, a, what's called a, term, a determination letter. And they said, hey, this company said, tell us whether you think this transforms what is a pistol, therefore not a rifle, therefore not a short-barreled rifle, because it's got a barrel less than 16 inches, whether this transforms this pistol into a short-barreled rifle. ATF took a look at it and said, no, it does not, because it, the gun is still not designed to be fired from the shoulder, because it only has this brace on it that straps around your forearm. It's that that pistol, that 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 firearm is still designed to be fired one-handed, so it's not a short-barreled rifle. Then there were a couple other brace designs sent in, and they got similar determinations. And pretty soon. ATF was looking at this, and they made a couple of changes. First of all, they said, well, while a brace on your gun doesn't automatically transform it into a rifle, therefore a short-barreled rifle, subject to the NFA, if you actually shoulder the gun while shooting it, in other words, using this, the pistol stabilizer brace as a shoulder stock, if you use it that, that way, that transforms the design of the firearm into a short-barreled rifle. And a lot of people went crazy on that and said, hold on, this is about 2015, that happened. A lot of people came out and said, hold on, how does it change the design of the firearm based on how I use it? And there was a, a lot of flack directed at ATF, and they ended up reversing that and said, well, if it's designed to be fired from the shoulder, that's, it still makes it a short-barreled rifle. But if it's designed to be fired one-handed through the use of a pistol stabilizer brace, the occasional uh, or incidental use of the pistol stabilizer brace as a shoulder stock doesn't transform it into an SBR. When that came out, they, they essentially reversed their position on the issue of whether shouldering it turned it into a short-barreled rifle. When that happened, they got really popular really fast. That's when people started buying these things up. Again, an estimated 3 million of them. And a lot of the designs of the pistol stabilizer braces, pretty obviously, were designed, given the surface area at the, at the rear portion of them, a lot of them looked an awful lot like a shoulder stock. But if you can sort of separate out 
the end of them, if there was a strap there designed to go around your forearm, then okay, it's still a stabilizer brace. And people started using these left and right. In fact, before this final rule came out last Friday, you go on to some of the gun-related forums out there, a lot of the, the pages people discussing this, if you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to send in the form to build an SBR, put a shoulder stock on my short-barreled AR, my short-barreled AK, a lot of people call you an idiot saying, why would you do that when you can just put a stabilizer brace on it and use the brace like a shoulder stock? That way you save you 200 bucks, and, and there are other restrictions of the NFA you don't have to worry about. For instance, if I have a registered short-barreled rifle, I can't take it across state lines without getting approval from the ATF first. People say, why, you idiot? Why would you SBR a firearm when you got to pay 200 bucks and suddenly you can't take it across state lines? My reaction to that has always been um, because I don't trust the ATF on pistol stabilizer braces. Look what they did on bump stocks. They're legal, they're legal, they're legal. Oops, they're not legal. Look even what ATF had already done on pistol stabilizer braces. They're legal. Well, they're legal unless you shoulder them. Oh, no, you can shoulder them incidentally or occasionally, whatever the hell that means. And that doesn't transform the design. And the more I saw people buying them and using them, and the more prevalent they became, I went, mm-hmm. We're going to see the, the ATF do something on this. What did they do? Well, they just did it yesterday. And we come back from this break. I'll go into details on that. And, and our birthday boy, Kelly, has called in. So we'll go to the phone line as well. Uh, right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Talking about pistol stabilizer braces, I just explained what they are and how we got to where we are today. We'll now get into what the ATF has come out and said. By the way, they had a proposed rule out months and months ago and collected something like, don't quote me on this number, something like 200,000 comments. This is what you have to do with a proposed regulation at the federal level. You have to put it out for public comment. They did that. The overwhelming majority of the comments they got were or adversarial were, were disagreeing with the proposed rule. Talk about what they said they were going to do and then what they actually did in the final rule yesterday. But in the meantime, our buddy Kelly has called in. Kelly, did you hear me wish you a happy birthday earlier, buddy? I sure did, Guy. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> if I'd have known uh, you were calling, I would have just saved that to say it to you directly. But anyway, I hope you're having yeah, a good it, day. Oh, yeah. It, it doesn't end in a zero, so it's not a milestone birthday. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Uh, and, and, so what, uh, what, my, what? my wife uh, let me know that uh, she reached out and let you know. I was sitting here wondering, how did I know it was my birthday? <laughs> uh, no, well, I've had your birthday on my calendar for months now, Kelly. I don't, I don't know what your wife's talking about. Trying to, trying to take credit for, for my uh, attention to, uh, to, <laughs> to, to your life, to your timeline of your life. No, I'm, I'm teasing. But what, what, you, do you want to talk about the ATF issue? Oh, certainly. Uh, once once again, ATF doesn't stand for arbitrary towards firearms, but it seems like it really should. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, everything was fine for, for 10 years. Now, all of a sudden, it is not. That's even even for the ATF. This is pretty arbitrary. I think we're, yeah, we're at the point, it's our, uh, our elected officials in Washington. We need to remind them that they're the ones that make the laws. That's the legislative branch, and we have... We have uh, three-digit or uh, three-letter agencies, which uh, the case against EPA, which also came out last year, I think is going to have 
significant impact on this. Uh, and I drafted up an email towards uh, our two senators and, and uh, well, Representative Barrett for me here in the 4th District. And I included some verbiage that Justice Gorsuch had in the West Virginia VEPA. And I'll just give you the money line on it here. The Constitution does not authorize agencies to use pen and phone regulations as substitutes for laws passed by the people's representatives. And I I think we have to remember, if you don't have a brace, which I have nothing with a brace on it, make no mistake, it's the the firearms you do have in your safe that I think uh, about 24 million privately owned ARs and that like are in this country now. Yeah, that's the one they're coming for next. Make no mistake. Oh, yeah, it, and, you're exactly right. It, it's a death by a thousand cuts and every advance they can make toward banning something or registering something so that they can later ban it and then know where exactly to go to go pick it up uh, is exactly uh, the exactly the plan. And, and Kelly, thanks again for your call. But uh, that's right. So what 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 was the original proposed rule and what did they actually announce yesterday? The original rule was they said, well, the statute says and I'm going to address Kelly's point probably after the top of the hour on the issue of uh, is this something that ATF can do or is this something that Congress has to do? Um, And and for instance, when the Fifth Circuit, as I talked about last week in the Cargill case, said that the ATF saying that bump stocks were actually machine guns. They had to essentially change the definition of machine gun in the NFA that only Congress can do. And that's where that, that EPA case that, that Kelly mentioned versus West Virginia was directly at play there in the bump stock case. Is that really true here? Well, let's just let's address that. The statute says that a short-barreled rifle first of all, has to be a rifle. And a rifle is, quote-unquote, designed to be fired from the shoulder. Okay, that's the language in the statute. The ATF then is charged with determining what firearms are actually designed to be fired from the shoulder. But they're, but in this case, it's not as strong an argument to say they're changing the words of Congress as opposed to applying and interpreting the words of Congress, which they are are actually allowed to do. So on that point, the argument we're going to have in this litigation, and there's already litigation, there's going to be a lot more. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. It will focus on that issue, but it won't be as strong as in the bump stock context because they really had to change the definition of machine gun to make a bump stock a machine gun. And particularly the words, uh, but one function of the trigger. That is, you you only get one round per single function of the trigger. Well, ATF tried to change that and say, or trigger finger. So I pull one time and then the bump stock starts functioning as it's intended to. And I don't have to pull the trigger again. The gun just bounces off my trigger finger and continues to fire like an automatic. Well, that's close enough. To do that, they had to change the words of Congress. And that's what was found to be unacceptable 
in the Cargill case that just came out last week that I talked about last week. By the way, producer Carl's working on potentially getting Mr. Cargill from Texas uh, here on the show. So we'll, we'll have more to say about that. But does that mean this whole ATF regulation is okay? Absolutely not. Because the, the Administrative Procedures Act that governs how regulations have to be passed says they cannot be arbitrary and capricious. What's arbitrary and capricious? Just what it sounds like. Make it up as you go. By virtue of the fact that they first told us these were legal, or at least not short-barreled rifles, now they're saying the opposite. Is that arbitrary and capricious? Oh, hell yeah, there's going to be a lot to be said about that. But right now we're at the top of the hour. We'll take a break. We'll come back. I'll get into more detail about what the proposed rule was and then what the final rule is and what this really means for anybody who owns one of these, because I know dozens, if not hundreds of people who do right here in Indiana. We'll get more into that when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Well, and welcome back for hour number two of The Gun Guy Show. If you're just joining us, we're glad you did. We're talking about what the ATF did yesterday on pistol stabilizer braces, which historically, ATF has said, do not change your pistol, including your rifle caliber pistol, into a short-barreled rifle that requires a tax stamp, payment of $200, under penalty of 10 years in federal prison, by the way. And unregistered short-barreled rifles a big deal under federal law. They try to put you away for a damn long time. So historically, ATF said specifically, nope, these are okay. It's still a pistol even if you put one of these on there. And even though they did a flip-flop on this, they eventually said even using it against your shoulder doesn't change the design of the firearm to make it a rifle. Then they came out with this proposed rule that they put out for public comment. They got a ton of negative comments on it, a lot of criticism, a lot of pushback. And originally what they had is they had a worksheet, worksheet 4999. And what it is, it said, well, you sit down and you fill out this worksheet, and if you get over a certain number of points, a maximum of four points either attributable to the characteristics of the stabilizer brace itself or because of the configuration of the firearm that you're using the brace on, then it's a it's an SBR. And the use of the pistol stabilizer brace doesn't save you anymore. And the and the worksheet had things on it like the accessory design. In other words, was it based on a known shoulder stock design? You got points for that. Was there material added to increase the surface area at the rear of the stabilizer brace, which would make it more useful for putting it against your shoulder. That you got points for that. If it was adjustable, if it either adjusts or telescopes, was mounted to a buffer tube and could be adjusted in or out, ah, I got points for that. The, the particular designs, the fin type without an arm strap, got a lot of points for that. Anyway, look not just at the brace itself, but then also said, well, what's what about the firearm that the brace is on? They looked at length of pull. What's length of pull? That's the distance from your shoulder to the center of the trigger. And they said, if that's 
13 and a half inches or more, which is a length commonly associated with rifles and shotguns. Most are a little more than that, especially for a shotgun. Then in and of itself, a length of pull, again, the distance when you mount the gun between your shoulder or the end of the buttstock is another way to say it. In this case, end of the stabilizer brace. <laughs> if that's more than 13 and a half inches, boom, it's an SBR, end of story. We looked at how it was attached to the firearm. Looked at whether the, the stabilizer brace had been modified. Some people were buying these things and, for instance, taking the, the strap off that would be used to strap it across your forearm as the stabilizer brace originally uh, was designed to be used. And, and boom, right there, you take that strap off, it's an SBR. And, 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 and then other things like you put a hand stop on it. Now, it used to be, people, people said, well, you don't have to worry if it's, unless it's a, a vertical foregrip. That means it's, it's designed to be shot with two hands, but not if it's just a hand stop or not if it's a, a, a non-vertical secondary grip. And you never, get this, if you put flip-up sights on your firearm or a red dot, you got points for that. Well, because more people put flip-up sights and red dots on rifles than pistols, although I would dispute that with pistols anymore. But they also looked at, at any number of those factors. So they, they put this worksheet out, which I got to tell you is, I mean, I do this for a living. It was largely unintelligible to me and looked to me like basically to say it was almost impossible to design around the use of a pistol brace in a way that would not result in the firearm being an SBR. They got a whole bunch of negative criticism on, on how arbitrary this thing was and how you know, it was really hard to understand. So in the final rule they came out with yesterday, what did they say? They said, well, we're, not, we're doing away with the worksheet. We're not going to add up these points anymore. But we'll know a short-barreled rifle when we see it, notwithstanding the fact that it has a pistol stabilizer brace on it. And here are the kind of things we're going to look for. Length of pull. If it has a length of pull consistent with a rifle or a shotgun, boom, it's a rifle or a shotgun. In and of itself, no more points, that's it. Okay. The, if it has a surface area at the rear of the brace that makes it useful for shouldering, boom, it's an SBR. Get this, they're going to look at the marketing material for the manufacturer of the brace or the entire firearm that is sold with a brace and say, well, if the manufacturer advertises it or markets it, showing how it's useful to use the brace against your shoulder as a shoulder stock, boom, that makes it an SBR. What does that mean? As somebody who owns one of these things, well, I have to go out and I have to search out every advertisement the manufacturer's ever issued to try to figure that out, even if I think I have a firearm that doesn't qualify. And by the way, this is not just for rifle calibers. Because you can, if you find the final rule on the internet, just Google ATF final rules of stabilizer braces. If you if you, you find the final rule, I strolled or scrolled down th through the final rule to get an understanding. It's 300 pages long. But what it has attached to it is specific firearms in specific configurations, and it says these are SBRs. And I wanted to see what they did with the pistol calibers. Didn't make a whole hell of a lot of difference. There's a firearm in here I own, a, an M, a SIG MPX, 9mm, traditional pistol caliber, 
The the MPXK has a very short barrel. Mine has a longer barrel. I have an eight inch barrel on mine, but the 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 K model has a very short barrel, shorter than a lot of pistol barrels. You put a pistol stabilizer brace on that. Most people and a lot I know a ton of people who own these things. I'm on a couple of MPX pages on social media, and people are comparing the builds they've put together and a ton. I'd say most Sig MPXs have braces on them. Do I? No, I SBR'd it. I paid my 200 bucks. I got a tax stamp. Why? Because I don't trust, never, have never trusted what the ATF was going to do on braces. Plus, I like a real shoulder stock. I like an adjustable stock. I like, I like a real stock that functions like a real stock, and I won't play games with a brace. But that is not to say I minimize the impact this is going to have on an awful lot of people. Because even though this is a pistol caliber that comes in a very short-barreled configuration, it says, there it is, boom, these configurations. By the way, there are flip-up rifle-type sights on this particular one. said, boom, it's an SBR. I think anybody reading this who has any concern at all about not going to federal prison for 10 years is going to assume that whatever they have their pistol brace on is pretty much definitely going to be an SBR. And I think that's exactly what the ATF intended when they put this out. They basically wanted to say, we're now requiring you to treat a pistol brace exactly like a shoulder stock for purposes of determining whether or not you need to register your firearm under the NFA. Now, they're saying they're going to forego. They can't legally cancel the $200 tax stamp. They just simply say, and for 120 days, they're not going to collect it. If you want to go ahead and file your Form 1 under the NFA to build a short-barreled rifle. We're not going to collect your 200 bucks for 120 days. They also said to people, well, wait a minute. If I don't want to register, because an awful lot of people, I've, I've had people ask me this specifically. What are my options if I don't want to register my gun? A lot of people are just as concerned as I am about what the government wants to do once you register your firearms. And people say, well, I, I, I don't want to register mine. 200 bucks or no. I don't want my my firearm registered. What are my options? Well, the ATF has answered that question. You can take the stabilizer brace off of it and modify it so it's no longer capable of accepting the pistol brace attachment. Not sure exactly what they mean by that, but that's what they said. You can destroy your firearm. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, like a lot of people are going to run out and destroy their $2,000 SIG MPXs. You can surrender the firearm to ATF. Well, that's appealable. That's appealing, I should say. Or you can take off the short barrel and put a barrel longer than 16 inches on it so it's no longer a short-barreled rifle. They're telling you it's a rifle because it's got a stabilizer brace on it, but it's no longer a short-barreled rifle because it's got a barrel 16 inches or more. Those are your options. And I'm getting a ton of calls and people saying, do I really have to do this? What about the litigation? Should I hold out and see what happens? Because, because the, the Second Amendment Foundation has filed a lawsuit. That was already pending before the final rule came out. Calling this whole thing arbitrary and capricious, which is illegal under the Administrative Procedures Act. Should I, should I hold out and wait to see? We'll get into some of those issues and wrap up this discussion, move on to some other things that are happening right here in Indiana 
you have questions or comments, want to give us a call, 317-239-9393. Excuse me, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. Give us a call. Right now we're taking a break. This is Sky Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. You know, I'll tell you what, talking about pistol stabilizer braces, um, during the break we had Stephen call in. And Stephen, based on what you told producer Carl, very, very interested in, in taking your call. So first of all, thanks for calling The Gun Guy Show. Hey, thanks, Guy. I'm a huge fan. Oh, I appreciate um, that. Uh, got a Mossberg 590 Shockwave. It's 14-inch barrel. And when it came in, it didn't say it was a rifle or a shotgun. It said other. And um, I purchased an SP Tactical pistol grip and the stabilizing brace. Uh-huh. And um, it's just the, the L-shaped one with the strap on it. Yep. And um, I actually am disabled. My left arm does not work. It's paralyzed. And now I bought this, you know, for my kids and stuff. <laughs> but, I mean, if I shot it, you know, I was only get one shot off, but I would be using this stabilizing brace and does that take me you know out of the situation because i am legally disabled or would this still also be considered um in violation you know um that's a great question Stephen. and i wish i could tell you i read all 291 pages of this thing to answer this (laughs) definitively but i right based on my read thus far since this thing came out yesterday i'm not seeing where you actually using a stabilizer brace specifically as a stabilizer brace is designed to be used, um, how that, and, and, and necessarily so because of a disability, how that exempts you out if the design checks enough boxes or even one box, let's just say based on length of pull, right? The distance between the end of the brace and the trigger. If that's 13, I just measured that and it was 11. So. Oh, see, there you go. So that whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Helps, but you know, it, it, but they also the kind that has um, a, a larger surface area at the rear of the brace. Uh, you may be okay, but you, if you're okay, it, again, a big asterisk next to this. Sure. Um, is because I haven't read every word in this thing yet, but I'm concerned that if you check a box that makes it an SBR, it doesn't make any difference that you're actually using it only as a brace and the way the brace was originally intended. That's why it's ridiculous. You know what? What, what would what would be be the case for instance? Let's say someone, and I, and I don't want to get this personal, uh, asking you the question, Stephen. But let's say someone um, only has one hand. Or only has one functional hand, and they can't shoot a firearm two-handed. And again, let's talk about an amputee. They only have one hand. By definition, if they're shooting a gun, it's with one hand. And they use a stabilizer brace specifically for that purpose, and only for that purpose. And because they only have one hand, cannot shoulder the firearm. Would ATF still put them in jail just because their stabilizer brace or the the firearm that the, the stabilizer brace is attached to checks a box that makes it an SBR? 
Would the ATF put that person in jail when they're using a brace only as a brace and can't shoulder the firearm because they can only shoot it with one hand? I suppose it'd be it'd be possible with one hand to pull it in tight enough, depending on the length and weight of the firearm, to pull it in tight enough to your shoulder to shoulder it and still only shoot it one-handed. But beyond a certain length or weight, that wouldn't even be possible unless somebody's awful damn strong. And isn't that an interesting question? And, and isn't that a great example of how this could be arbitrary and capricious? And I'll tell you what, we'll wrap up this discussion. Again, I'll take more calls uh, about it, questions or comments through the remaining parts of the show if you want to go back to stabilizer braces. But the, 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 we're, what we're left with here is something that ATF told the public was legal, just like they told bump stocks were legal. And on that basis... Companies sprang up or devoted a, a lot of the resources of their company to make these things and sell them. A lot of gun stores have a lot of them in stock. You go by any of the, the significantly sized gun stores here in Indiana, here in Indianapolis even, and there's a whole bunch of firearms with stabilizer braces on the wall. What are those gun stores going to tell their customers? Do they have to start doing form fours on all those transfers? Well, it's not already a registered. It's all not already a registered SBR. So, so form four, which is a transfer of an NFI item, doesn't really apply. But isn't that all fascinating? And doesn't it show the arbitrary and capricious nature of this? And I'll tell you what I've already gotten. I'm probably half a dozen or more today. I got messages, emails, and whatnot saying, "Guy, I want to bring my." gun with a stabilizer brace into your office and have you tell me definitively whether it's an SBR or not. And I will get a legal opinion from you. And I'll tell you right now, based on the way I read this rule, I'm not going to tell anybody that what they have is not an SBR. I mean, I suppose there could be an extreme example. And Stephen may have even been talking about one where the length of pull is very short. It's just the L-shaped brace with a strap that is, is clearly hasn't doesn't have a lot of surface area that would be useful for shouldering. No flip-up rifle-type sights. No sight that requires eye relief that would be inconsistent with shooting it one-handed. That's another issue that ATF is looking at, an issue that alone will decide will, will lead ATF to decide you've got an SBR. But we're talking about 10 years in federal prison, and this is what ATF intended. They don't want anybody taking the chance. They want anybody going, no, 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 this is still a pistol. I can I can pass all the tests, all the hurdles ATF has put up in my way trying to define this thing as an SBR. It's not. They don't want anybody doing that. Why? Because they want you to register it. After 120 days, they want your 200 bucks. So I, I don't think ETF's going to cut anybody any breaks on this. What about just standing pat, not doing anything, and waiting for the litigation to play out? We don't know when the litigation is going to play. Litigation can go on for years and years and years. Even the pending lawsuit brought by the Second Amendment Foundation is going to have to be substantially revised now because the original lawsuit was, was based on the proposed rule, not the final rule. So that doesn't exactly start that lawsuit over from scratch, 
but pretty darn close. And the legal issues have changed to some degree. So I'm going to sit back and, and, and again, maybe this is the lawyer in me. Do I want something in my possession that could get me 10 years in federal prison? That's the bluff that ATF is running. And I wouldn't recommend to anybody right now, beyond, certainly beyond the grace period, to just plan on not getting caught. And or, or to just hunker down long enough for the litigation to play out. I think some people will go ahead and register them as SBRs. Some people will take them off. Some pe- people will say, to hell with ATF. I'm not going to get bluffed into doing something I don't want to do, like removing the pistol brace and rendering it incapable of accepting a pistol brace or putting an 18-inch barrel on my gun or destroying it or turning it into ATF. An awful lot of people don't find any of those to be acceptable alternatives. But in the meantime, we're at the bottom of the hour. We're going to shift gears. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Illinois, our neighbor, just because they have now passed an assault weapon ban and a high-capacity magazine ban and what we expect uh, to see out of that. But we're going to talk about that very briefly and then move into what's going on in the Indiana legislature and uh, and what we want to have our eye on there as well, both good and bad. We'll get into both of those issues and continue to take your call uh, calls for questions and comments at 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And uh going to move on, but Carrie has called in with a question about uh, the stabilizer brace final rule that just came out yesterday. So, Carrie, welcome to The Gun Guy Show. What you got for us? Hey, Guy. How you doing? Good, man. Hey, my question is, how can the ATF change everything so much between the proposed rule and the final rule? How can they get away with that? And uh, does it make it more easy to challenge it in court? Well, it, they they put uh, – that's a great question. Um, that what they did is what I read that they came out with, Carrie, they went through and they responded to the comments on the proposed rule. And keep in mind, too, that they had one proposed rule that they actually withdrew, and there was – 100,000 comments or more on that. They withdrew it. They, they put out another proposed rule. They responded to all of that. And what they're saying is that the final rule is actually in reaction to a lot of the comments they got. For instance, a lot of the comments said this worksheet where you added up points was completely unintelligible, unworkable, and vague. And they came out and said, okay, we agree with that, so we're not doing the worksheet anymore. We're just going to declare things in SBR based on as little as one feature, like length of poll. Um, and, and, and keep in mind, too, that while the comments were overwhelmingly negative and critical in the public comment period, it's not a public vote. Unfortunately, their only obligation of the Administrative Procedures Act is to put it out for public comment and then to, in some way or form, uh, way, shape or form, uh, react to the comments they got. And they do that in the final rule. That's one of the reasons it's almost 300 pages long. They'll say, well, we got this criticism and then they respond to it. And one of the things, for instance, you know, a lot of the criticism was you've changed your mind on this. You told us these were legal. Now you're telling us they're illegal. 
They responded to that and they said, yes, there's been some inconsistency in our position, inconsistency in our position. Yes, we changed our mind on whether just putting it against your shoulder changed the design. Did a 180 on that. But what we really always did is we didn't say all stabilizer braces on uh, on on a on a pistol are okay, and don't convert it into an SBR. We 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 looked at the ones that were submitted to us, and based on the total configuration, we issued determinations on whether or not those particular firearms with those particular braces were SBRs or not. And yes, um, we said some were not, and we're changing our mind now, saying some of those are. And again, you go find the final rule. Just Google it. You can find in the final rule at the end. There's an attachment, and there's actually two different links you can click on uh, on the ATF page. One is examples of SBRs. Some of the things that they're saying, okay, this brace on this firearm makes it an SBR are things that they prior, they, they previously approved. So they acknowledged they changed their mind on, on, on some things and, and, and critical things, but they never intended to give a blank okay to all pistol stabilizer braces. And given the prevalence of how people are actually using them as stocks, they've decided to go the direction they are. And you know, like I said, it's not a public vote. They don't have to say, well, we got more criticism than we did support, so we can't do it. Um, they, they simply have to respond to the, to the comments on the proposed rule and accommodate those, which they say they did, into the final rule. So that's why they're trying to get around that. But as the litigation proceeds, and exactly to Kerry's question, um, and and some very good lawyers are going to be looking very, very hard at these issues, they, that may increase the likelihood that they can establish it's arbitrary and capricious and hopefully even inconsistent with the NFA itself um, so that we have a similar argument to what uh, just won in the Fifth Circuit on bump stocks. By the way, if you, if you heard some of the discussion on bump stocks and the decision last week, where they said, no, despite what the ATF says, putting a bump stock on your semi-automatic firearm does not convert it to a machine gun. People I've seen all over social media are declaring victory and said, hey, bump stocks are good to go. Bump stocks are good to go in the Fifth Circuit. And there are only certain states that are within the federal Fifth Circuit. Some other circuits, not the seventh that Indiana is in, but some others on both the left and right coasts, have come out and said the bump stock ban is just fine. So don't think that this necessarily applies or that ATF is going to give up on bump stocks unless and until this ends up before the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court then issues a ruling. One thing I am uh, getting some satisfaction out of, i got to tell you, is that uh, while Illinois did a very Illinois thing and just passed a so-called assault weapons ban, and a high-capacity magazine ban. What the reaction has been from law enforcement, including some prosecutors, has been fascinating. And by that I mean, and, and first of all, what's the Illinois law say? It says, well, your semi-automatic firearm with a detachable magazine. And this is any. We're not talking about SBRs. We've moved on from that. We're talking about all so-called assault weapons, which again, you know and I know is a political term made up made up to demonize the most popular rifles in America. But if it's a semi-automatic firearm with a detachable magazine and, and some other features like, oh, say, a pistol grip, EGADS, it's now an assault weapon. What Illinois has said, again, man, one state over, you can, you can see how close we can be to tyranny. 
in this country, even as Hoosiers, they said, well, we're not going to ban them in the sense that, that we're going to seize them, confiscate them, or people have to give them up if they already have them. But to be legal and avoid a felony charge, you have to register them. Ah, there we go, registration. What is always the ultimate goal of registration? Confiscation. I'm telling you that right now. That one just leads to the next. And But you have to register it with the state of Illinois to even have your semi-automatic firearm with a detachable magazine. Then they're banning the continued sale or transfer. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Of any high-capacity magazines or so-called assault weapons. So consider this. What if you're... Uh, an FFL, a federal firearms licensee in Illinois. And I got to tell you, I have walked into gun stores, and you have too, if you're a firearms enthusiast at all, and seen a good 25, 30, 40% of the inventory on the wall would meet Illinois' definition of an assault weapon. Those are now non-transferable, meaning can't be sold. What do you do? As an FFL. And the state of Illinois said, well, you can sell them to law enforcement. (laughs) Law enforcement generally gets their firearms from their department. There aren't a lot of police officers going to wander into a gun store to buy a firearm. And departments get them straight from the manufacturers because they save money that way. But what's really interesting and what's worth noting is that Law enforcement across Illinois, and as you would guess, it's going to be in more rural areas away from Chicago and Cook County. Law enforcement, several sheriffs, county sheriffs have come out and said, I will not enforce this in my county. Won't do it. No one's going to be jailed for violating this law. Not in my county. Isn't that beautiful? Some prosecutors have come out and said, I see this as unconstitutional. I'm not in favor of prosecuting in my job as a county prosecutor. Unconstitutional laws. The governor now, Plitzker, is all upset, saying, well, we can't have law enforcement not enforcing our unconstitutional laws, and he's vowing some kind of punishment to law enforcement who refuse to enforce these things and put people in jail or to somehow go after prosecutors who don't want to file charges. But this is what you get. Remember when Virginia passed a whole bunch of draconian legislation? I I wrote an article way back when for the WIBC website where I said, Virginia teaches us that elections have consequences. In one election cycle, the governor's office, and then a couple years later, the Senate, and what they call their House of Delegates, I believe, instead of House of Representatives, They went from Republican-controlled in all three areas, governor, 
House, Senate. It went from Republican control to Democrat control basically in one election cycle, just over a couple of years, because Republicans didn't show up to the polls. It was the first thing the Democrats did, passed a whole bunch of draconian gun control, including assault weapons ban, et cetera, et cetera. Now, they, they actually, that one, they backed off on at the end of the day, but increased red flag laws, magazine capacity limits, and a whole bunch more, and vowed to continue fighting for an assault weapon ban. And what you ended up with is 90-plus percent of the counties in Virginia, when you get away from Richmond and just a couple of other counties that are basically uh, D.C. suburbs, so it's Richmond and then the D.C. suburbs over on that side of the state, when you get away from those counties, Virginia's very conservative. Unfortunately, those counties are so highly populated they can drive a, a statewide election. And what did you have? You had 90-plus counties, 90-plus percent of the counties of Virginia declaring themselves what? Quote-unquote, Second Amendment sanctuaries, meaning if there's an unconstitutional law, they won't enforce them within that county. And they did that in different ways. But I'll tell you what, we're a little past the three-quarter hour. We're going to take a break. We'll come back for the last segment of The Gun Guy Show here in just a minute. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back for the last segment of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. I want to leave you with something very concerning. And we knew this was coming. I've talked about it on Hammer Nigel when we've talked about uh, what I expect in this year's legislature here in Indiana. Uh, I've talked about it otherwise. We talked about it after Ryan Mears, the Marion County prosecutor, came out and, and really tried to deflect blame from his office and his own personal inaction for not filing red flag proceedings against the man who ended up being the FedEx shooter. Keep in mind, no red flag proceeding was ever filed by his office, the Marion County Prosecutor's Office. The police did their job. They seized a shotgun this kid had just bought after his mom and his sister walked into a police station and said, this guy wants to commit suicide by cop. He's violent with his mother. He's dangerous. You need to come seize his firearms. The cops seized their fire. IMPD seized the shotgun. And they made a red flag report to the Marion County Prosecutor's Office. The Marion County Prosecutor's Office sat on it and never filed it. In order to deflect blame from that, Mears and apparently some other prosecutors have been critical of the statute, saying, well, there's a reason we didn't file red flag proceedings, and that's because there are defects in the statute complete deflection. And unfortunately, a Republican senator here from Indianapolis, Jack Sandlin, and I, look, I like Jack Sandlin. I consider him a friend. I have a lot of respect for him. Former police officer. I am very disappointed he's willing to run this bill, especially as a Republican. Because what this would do is this would allow people who have had no due process in the sense of having been heard Having been ordered, having having been given the opportunity to present their own evidence on their behalf, to be represented by counsel, to confront the witnesses against them, with no due process, just on a finding of probable cause by a judge who's heard one side of the story, 
If I pick up the phone right now, call IMPD and said, producer Carl is locked in the bathroom here at WIBC and he's threatened to kill himself. Very concerned. I think he's dangerous. You need to come take his guns. You need to go to his house, seize any guns he has, and you need to take the gun he has with him here. He has with him there in the bathroom. I am lying completely. I made the story up. It never happened. Is the judge going to find probable cause that he's dangerous based on my phone call? Absolutely. Yes. Every time. On that basis alone, Carl can be declared a prohibited possessor without having any opportunity to prove that I'm a liar, to prove that it's an unfounded allegation, to prove that it was a frivolous call, in fact, violates our our false reporting bill. And this bill would allow a judge to have him declared a prohibited possessor even before he gets his hearing in court. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. I will fight this with everything in me. And you need to call Senator Aaron Freeman, chairman of the Courts and Criminal Code Committee in the Senate. That's Aaron Freeman. Good friend. He was a rock star on on on, uh, on constitutional carry. Call Senator Freeman, chairman of that committee, and say, let this thing die in committee. It does not deserve a hearing. I'll talk a lot more about that on next week's show. Right now, we're at the top of the hour the end of the show. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope to come back next week. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.